All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. My name is Dana Buckler, and I am joined by my good friend, Adam Risky. Adam, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Dana? I'm doing good. Thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, listen, before we get started, I just have to give a quick shout out to a very longtime listener of the show, a gentleman by the name of Richard Sternberg, who lives all the way over across the pond in the United Kingdom. Richard was so unbelievably kind to reach out to me about a month ago to tell me that he went to a uh, a con in London and he waited in line to meet Robert England and he got me a Nightmare on Elm Street original one sheet poster autographed by Robert England for me and he sent it to me and I am so elated and so gracious and and so humbled by this gesture because to know me is to know that I've had such a complicated history with A Nightmare on Elm Street as far as being traumatized by Freddy Krueger and now in my bedroom on the wall I now have a frame poster so Richard I know you're listening and I just wanted to tell you again thank you so much and Adam I know you've had an opportunity to meet Robert England so just talk a little bit about what this gentleman means to you yeah yeah certainly um he I, I I met him about ten years ago at a horror convention in Chicago, and he's he's great. He's one of those guys who really just gets it on how to interact with his fans and kind of what they want to hear from him. And he's very loquacious, and he's kind of I don't describe people this way, but he's like what you would characterize a, a, like a raconteur, where he's just very knowledgeable about a lot of topics and loves to tell stories. So when you go to meet him at a convention, odds are he's going to stop to tell you any type of little interesting trivia tidbit about any of the movies that he's done. So that's something I would recommend if you're going to meet him at a show, um, have a question for him about like some kind of onset trivia or like a choice he made with a performance or a specific scene. Cause he has like great recall on all those things. And I remember he told me like a story about Paul Walker on the set of meet the Deedles where he had like a supporting part. And it was, it's like one of my favorite Paul Walker stories. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a terrific guy from the time that I've met him. Awesome. Excellent. So Richard, I, again, thank you so much. So, the idea for this show came up when, uh, you know, I received a, an email about two weeks ago from a listener wondering when the next movie theater rant episode was going to come out. And for new listeners to the show, if you go back and look at the back catalog, you're going to see a, a rather large number of movie theater rant episodes. And, you know, the, here's the thing. Those are fun to, to, to those stories are fun to tell. But the reality is that after many, many years of really bad theater-going experiences, I basically was ready to give up. I was ready to say, I'm never going to do this again. And in December of this year, I was down visiting my sister in Orlando for Christmas vacation. And Christmas Day, typical Christmas Day at, at the sister's house, my mom's there, nephews, Christmas dinner at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, I, you know, everything started to settle down towards the end of the day. And I just realized that, uh, I, I need something to do. And I decided to go see a movie. Now I was in a foreign land. I was not familiar with Orlando. So I broke out the Fandango movie app, knew the movie I wanted to see the the film, the Adam McKay directed film Vice. I, it was the day that it came out. Now, I'm only really familiar with Regal Cinemas and AMC. 
And those who know me know that I have very, very strict guidelines for going to see movies. So seeing a movie on Christmas Day, I knew it was going to be a real gamble. And seeing it in a foreign land, an area that I didn't knew nothing about, was going to be an even bigger gamble. So I was going to use the tried and true tested method of the twosies. So I opened up the Fandango app. I checked the local theaters. There's about three in the area. There was the AMC, there was a Regal Cinema, and then there was one called Epic Theaters. Adam, have you heard of Epic Theaters before? No, I haven't. Okay, so Epic Theaters. I'm, I'm talking to my brother-in-law, Greg, and I'm just saying, hey, have you heard of this Epic Theaters? And he just looks at me and says, this is the theater you need to go to. This will change your life. Now, I've heard that before and, you know, I've always been let down. But, you know, on his advice, I went ahead and opened up the Epic Theater app and I began looking for a ticket for the film Vice. I got right to the choose your seat section and I noticed that there was uh, no twosies. But something really struck me. This was an opening day movie and the particular theater it was showing at only had, I want to say, it only had 40 seats. Which, I mean, Adam, what, what are we talking about? A 40 seat theater? I mean, that's... That's usually where films are relegated after like they've been playing for six weeks, correct? Yeah, yeah, especially in kind of this day and age where every theater has recliner seats and everything like that. Yeah, but they always put movies that are kind of deep into their run in those little outlier small theaters. So I said to Greg, I said, I right, listen, and he knows the Tuesday story. And I said, listen, I, I, I can't do this. You know, there's, there's, there's no Tuesdays. He says to me, trust me. It's like you just said, Adam, they have the recliners. And you know, you know me, typically me, I would buy two tickets just so no one would sit next to me. But you know, it is what it is. So I, I, I purchased a ticket for this theater. I went to a seven o'clock showing on Christmas day. When I walked up to the entrance of Epic Theaters, I opened the doors and I walked in and there was just a wall of kiosks, the, the uh, little, little computer kiosks where you can purchase your tickets or, or whatnot. And I walked in and this theater was absolutely amazing. They had a big giant bar to the left with TVs on showing all the sports. When I walked in, I went immediately to the kiosks and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out how to redeem my ticket. And I, I went over to the customer service section and I said, hi, um, hi. And I was felt like a complete newbie. I'd never been to a theater like this before. I mean, you have to understand my local cinema. I've said it before. It's like flying economy. It's just no frills whatsoever. So I walk over to the desk and I asked the lady, I said, hi, I, I purchased my ticket online and I'm not exactly sure what to do. And she smiled and said, no problem. What's your name? And I gave her my name. She's Mr. Buckler. Here's your ticket right here. And I said, oh, okay, great. Now, where do I go? And she said, well, do you want concessions? And I said, I do. I, I do want concessions. And she said, go right over there. And I saw a line. It had to have been like 80 people in line. I said, oh no, this isn't going to work. And she said, no, trust me. It goes really quickly. I've never seen a concession stand like this in my life. You walk and along the wall, along the concession stands were all these clear plastic cases. And in each one of these cases was large popcorns, medium popcorns, small popcorns, all ready to go. You just open up the window and you take whatever you want. Have you experienced anything like that before? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some th AMC theaters nearby kind of have cafeteria style where you just, they'll have like preset 
popcorns that have already been made and are underneath like heat lamps and you can pick it up and just kind of walk to the register. And that's exactly, I've never experienced anything like this. I know listeners are probably going, really, Dana, you've never experienced anything <laughs> like this. But I, so I walk in and I open up the, I open up the popcorn. I grab a medium popcorn. I turn and look to the guys behind me and I'd be like, isn't this incredible? And they looked at me like I, like I had just landed from another planet. I said, and I'm smiling. I'm like, this is fantastic. And I keep walking. And, and then all of a sudden there's, there's all these cash cashiers all these all these cashiers and i just walk up and i'm like hi here and she gives me i was like do you want a soda i said of course i want a soda she goes what size i'm like i don't know medium and so i take a medium and i look and it had all these like drink fountain stations like you'd see at a, at a fast food restaurant and i'm like i can just help myself she's like you can help yourself and i said this is incredible and i just kept walking and i and everything i'm telling you from the moment i went into the con- start of the concession stand to me cashing out was about three minutes I'd never experienced this before at my at my typical movie theater. They have one person working an area that could easily hold about 10 employees. And so you, you, you have to decide, do you want to see the movie from the beginning or do you want popcorn? Like you have to it's a it's a give or take. You, you have to decide which way you want to go. So I've got my popcorn. I've got my soda. I walk up and I walk into the theater and it was just 40 plush recliners. And I've never experienced this. And I sat down, I pushed a button, and the whole thing extended out. And the movie was slated to start at 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock, the lights dimmed, and the movie started. No trailers. And it just started. And everybody was quiet. And no one had their phone out. I could feel my eyes starting to well up a little bit as the movie was starting. Like, this was what I've been searching for my entire life. Now, I don't have the the best things to say about the movie Vice. It was okay, and I will say this, that if you're not super into politics, you're probably not going to really enjoy the film. But when the movie was over, I got up, and I walked out, and I asked to speak to the manager. Now, longtime listeners of the show will know that I've asked to speak to management numerous times in the uh, history of me going to the theater. And the manager came over and said, Hello, sir. Is everything okay? I said, Everything is glorious. What's the history of this theater? And he just kind of looked at me a little bit puzzled. I said, I need to know more. Do you have any information about this theater? Where are they? And he told me that there were 10 epic theater chains throughout Florida and Texas and Georgia. And I just said, you're doing the Lord's work. And I turned around and I walked out. And Adam, I sat in my car with a just content smile on my face because I, after years and years and years, it finally happened. I had the perfect movie going experience. And I didn't think it was possible. That was the moment when I said, it's time to retire. And I just don't think I'm going to make it back to the theater. I feel like you need to own a copy of Vice just to remember this moment. Like, you don't even have to watch Vice ever again. But I feel like it's a keepsake. And I know that a lot of people are probably just saying to themselves, well, that's a typical experience every time I go to the theater. I don't know if it was like John Elway, quarterback John Elway for the Denver Broncos. For years and years and years, that elusive Super Bowl ring was so close, but he never got it. And then finally, he won it. And he retired. And I just think that that's that's it for me. Maybe I'll go back to the theater every once in a while. But my days of going two to three times a week, they're over. Unless an Epic Theaters opens up where I live. How far is the closest one from you? Yeah, it's about an hour and 20 minutes with traffic. So, you know, it's a commitment. Yeah. It's a commitment, definitely. It made me realize that it's still possible to have a good theater going experience. And I'm grateful to the management and staff of Epic Theaters. I know I was very much like Mel Brooks, excuse me, very much like Albert Brooks in Defending Your Life when he first gets to sort of the uh, the waiting area before you go to heaven where everything is just perfect. I was completely lost 
Uh, it was it was the greatest thing in the world. And and I know I was getting a lot of strange looks. They people were saying, "Who's this enthusiastic forty year old who's just smiling and just telling everybody, isn't this great? Isn't this the best thing ever?" So I was I was pretty happy. That makes my heart happy that you had this this great movie going experience. Um, it's it's so well earned. It's it's I I it's just I don't even know I, how do how do I top it? I don't I don't. So that's it. So now the reason I told that story is because I had such a great experience that I I don't want to ruin it. So I will. Every once in a while, I'll go back to the movies, but it's going to be, again, under the rules. It's going to be, you know, using the rules that I use, you know, you know, it has to be typically the movie has to be out for a couple weeks or it has to be a, a really obscure time when a lot of people aren't going to be there. So having said all that, there's a lot of movies that have come out in 2019 so that I have yet to see. And Adam, your opinions when it comes to films uh, almost perfectly mirror mine. I couldn't have thought of anyone else I'd like to have on the show to discuss the films that have come out in 2019 thus far. So the first question I want to ask you is, how's 2019 at the movies been for you so far? It's interesting because the past two, three years, I I don't know. Like I used to be really good at placing like, okay, in this year, these were the defining movies of that year or something like that. Nowadays, everything kind of just feels like this sameness to me. So even when things are, I don't know, it's strange because I don't have high or low opinions about a lot of movies anymore, especially the ones in 2019. Um, They're all kind of in that middle area. And then some are a little bit more interesting than others, or they have more quirks that I find to my sensibilities, more kind of, you know, things that I, I think back on and recollect, but uh, it's a very odd year. There's not a lot of standouts. If I had to make like a top two or three list this year, I would just give up because I'm like, I don't think any of these deserve it, but they're not bad. Excellent. <laughs> All right, so let's talk. Let's start with the first movie on the list. And I wrote down a list of movies that, okay, I wrote down this list of movies predicated on the idea that if I was still going to the theater, these are the movies that I would have made a concerted effort to go watch. So, and I wrote this list in order of the films released. So let's start with the January release of the hotly anticipated sequel to the M. Night Shyamalan films, Unbreakable and Split, and I'm talking about Glass. Adam, is Glass okay. worth seeing? Yes. Um, if you've seen Unbreakable and Split, definitely see Glass. It is not the movie I expected. It's very much, you kind of have set in your mind what Glass will be just based off of, okay, this is the setup of Unbreakable and this is the setup of Split and I have my heroes and I have my villains. And then you watch Glass and it's this entirely weird, only M. Night Shyamalan would think of doing this kind of take on a closing chapter of a trilogy. But I found myself really responding to it. And I think that's because I just am sort of a mark for M. Night Shyamalan is a filmmaker. I don't think all of his movies work, um, but I'm almost always happy that I saw them and I take away more from his lesser efforts than I do from a lot of other directors' lesser efforts. I think that he's such a 
kind of passionate and and emotional and kind of nakedly emotional filmmaker that it's hard for me to really kind of pick on him. Although that sort of seems to be the thing that a lot of people do pick on him for. So I think Glass is, uh, it, it's the probably the movie that I think about the most so far this year. And it's just really bizarre and not all of it works. And I wrote a review for it on F This Movie and I had to, I couldn't even write a real review. I did like a good, bad and the ugly. And even the stuff where I was saying this is bad or this is ugly, I was like, yeah, but it's so interestingly bad or ugly. Like, I don't understand why he made this decision. And it's the most fascinating thing I've seen, like, in the past four months, for sure. Were you surprised by sort of the divisive reviews the film was receiving? No, not at all. Um, in fact, when I when I went to the movie to see it, I went with most of my uh, my friends and co-writers at F This Movie, and everyone didn't like it except for me. And I was with uh, our friend Patrick Bromley and his wife, and I was texting his wife after the movie was over because we were having kind of the huddle out in the library or in the in the lobby where everybody was saying how bad it was. And then I was like, don't tell anyone, but I liked it. <laughs> Excellent. Now, what I thought was interesting was, you know, typically January and the early parts of February is, is kind of, it's been kind of known as the dump month. That's, you know, it's kind of where, you know, a studio's got a film, they really don't know what to do with it. Uh, so they don't put a lot of money behind the marketing and just kind of release it into theaters, usually January and early February. You know, Glass to me doesn't fit that criteria. I, I genuinely think that this was the first attempt at really extending the summer blockbuster movie season, just making it the entire year long. But another movie came out in uh, in late January that I thought the trailers looked very intriguing. I'm talking about the movie Serenity, and this is another one that I, I wonder if it fits the mold of the January dump month, because I look just looking at the uh, reviews, we're talking about a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 37% on Metacritic. Uh, Adam, what did you think of Serenity? Yeah, it's definitely a January dump month movie. Uh, it for there, there, there would be no other reason why you would have a movie uh, starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway released at the end of January with like little fanfare whatsoever. Um, the only reason why I really had a buzz was because it's so strange. And then here's a pet peeve of mine. I, I've noticed that um, a lot of critics or film writers in the, the days preceding a movie opening, they're like, you won't believe the crazy twists of so-and-so. And then they're like, don't let anyone spoil this for you and stuff <laughs> like that. And whenever people do that, it's like they're ass it's like they're daring you <laughs> not to read their article. <laughs> so what they're doing is essentially spoiling it for you because if they didn't write that, you wouldn't know any better and you would have just gone on and either seen or not seen that movie. But they're just like, hey, you know, it's not me who's the asshole, but don't let others be the asshole. <laughs> so that was a big thing that happened with Serenity. I couldn't help myself. I read the spoilers of it before I saw the movie and I won't spoil any of it. And I'm actually kind of doing what I'm criticizing right now. But what I'm saying is it's fucked up. It's a weird movie. And I think as a curiosity, it's definitely worth watching. It is not good. Um, but 
Uh, it's it's definitely a movie that's taking a big swing, but it's taking a big swing like Chris Davis on the Baltimore Orioles where he went through like an 0 for 54 slump. <laughs> uh, okay, so, uh, you know, in 2014, the, uh, the first Lego movie came out and it was it became, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, it just became a phenomenon. It was a movie that on paper I would have never gone, would have never have seen. But, you know, the buzz was so heavy about that film that I actually went and saw it on a Monday night, went to a 3D screening back in uh, January, February 2014. I had the theater to myself. You know, I enjoyed the movie. I, I didn't, I wasn't over the moon about it, but I had fun. It was a fun movie. So along comes the Lego movie two, the second part and I, I, this was released on February 8th, and this movie sort of just, it just sort of came and went, and I'm just kind of curious, you know, first of all, what are your thoughts on the Lego Movie 2, and then what are your thoughts on how it sort of just was in theaters, and it was out of theaters, and no one is talking about it? I'm going to answer it in reverse, because I don't want my opinion to color what I think actually happened too much. But what I do think happened is that there's been too many Lego movies. And I think that the worst thing that they did was dilute the brand with spinoffs right away. So if they went from a Lego movie to a Lego movie two next, I think a Lego movie two would have had more of a cultural footprint and made more money. Um, but since they did the Lego Batman movie and then the Lego Ninjago movie, by the time it got to the Lego movie two, it really felt like the Lego movie four. And then it's kind of like, well, do I really need to go see a fourth Lego movie? And I think that's kind of what happened with it. So what did you actually think about the movie itself? I, I really don't like these Lego movies. I, I think they're indicative of a bigger problem in pop culture right now, especially for movies for kids, um, where it's just a lot of visual noise and it's like a ton of songs and they feel like they have to be clever 15 times a minute and it's hyper and they can't take a beat to really just let you sit back and kind of get involved in a story. It's always this ironic distance and then it tries to pivot and be sincere at the end. And I call bullshit on that because they're just throwing out these little bon mots that are supposed to be, you know, touching your inner soul because they're, they remind you of your childhood. And it's just a bunch of stock nonsense. And I have to see a lot of these movies with my family now. So stuff like this or the Grinch is another one or the secret life of pets, like all this stuff is just, they're nightmares. And I feel bad for kids that they don't have something one with like actual hand-drawn animation anymore two with actual people in it anymore. Like you feel the ones and zeros. Like I just think that I, I love toy story. I love Pixar, but they, they ruin animated movies and family movies for a, just by proxy. It's not their fault. It's just everybody learned the wrong lessons from them. And these Lego movies are just utter nonsense. They're fucking just garbage. I can't, like, oh, God, I, I just don't want to look at them. Like, I mentioned to you at another time that it's like it's just as ugly as watching a bunch of Transformers movies. Like, I have to actually look down just to get some relief from what is fucking my eyeballs. Like, I can't <laughs> stand these movies. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. <laughs> so, Other than that, I don't have much of an opinion. <laughs> so, 
just so just so listeners they can't see what i'm doing but i'm 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 putting a big line through this one as far as like you know we're recording on a sunday and after this recording i i pretty much have the rest of the day to myself and i thought i'll uh i'll watch a couple of these movies some of these are on vod right now so i was i'm gonna watch a couple this one's got a big line through it nope okay so <laughs> moving on to the next one and uh this was a movie that again Maybe Dana from 10 years ago would have been pretty amped up to see this film, but the trailers were not seriously blowing my mind. And this is this is one of these films where kind of like um, Mortal Engines, you know, the way they market these films is they it's almost like the trailers want to convince you that somebody who's serving in an executive producer role or a producer role is the one actually making the film. And I'm talking about uh, Alita Battle Angel, which I think to a lot of people, they'd watch the trailer and think this is a James Cameron film, when the reality is it's a Robert Rodriguez film. And Mortal Engines did the same thing where they were tried their damnedest to convince you that that was a Peter Jackson film, even though he was not the director. This was a film that, you know, Listen, I'm a big James Cameron fan, and uh, you know I'll admit I'm I'm the type of guy who goes on IMDb over the past few years and always looks at you know upcoming projects for him. And Battle Angel was one that he has been kind of working on since the 1990s, trying to get the project off the ground. So, with that being said, Adam is Alita Battle Angel something that I should uh, hurry up and see. Uh, I don't know about hurry, but I think you should see it. I I kind of went into it not guardedly optimistic because I like James Cameron and this feels very much like a movie that he would make if he wasn't in avatar prison right now. So I appreciate it from that regard. Um, When I saw that it was directed by Robert Rodriguez, I was pretty worried because I don't think that he's had a good movie in a really long time. Um, But this doesn't feel like a Robert Rodriguez movie. It feels like, And I mean this in a more positive way than I think it'll sound. It feels like a Star Wars prequel, but in the sense that it's like, it's like if you were in high school and then you picked up somebody's notebook by accident and you took it home and then you opened it up and you realized, oh, I took somebody else's notebook, but then you thumbed through it and it's like this grand dork vision and you're like, wow, I didn't know this person had this in them. And when you're thumbing through it, it's just like, it wears its heart so much on its sleeve and there's nothing ironic about it. It's just so sincere. And the Alita character is such a uh, oddly likable character. She's very much like the Pinocchio type where she's kind of learning the world for the first time. Okay. But her optimism and wide eyedness um, is very ingratiating. And then the, some of the action scenes are just beautiful to look at. So it's, it is kind of like a CGI kind of overload but unlike say the lego movie where i described it as fucking your eyeballs this one like at least takes you to dinner first (laughs) and then you're just like okay i'm ready for this Uh, (laughs) because i think this person loves me so let's this is the every once in a while a little question will pop in my head and i'm gonna ask you about christoph waltz in everything besides the tarantino films in every movie he's done besides the tarantino films Oh God! Favorite movie besides the no, Tarantino no, no, films? no, no. Your opinion of of the roles that he's done besides the Tarantino films? Oh, okay. Um, I think he's a little tough to take outside of Tarantino. Like, I like him ordinarily in the like he's he's great in Django Unchained and especially in Inglorious Bastards. Um, 
he was good in Big Eyes, the Tim Burton movie from a few years ago. But that's like he was playing such a whiny jerk. And I think he did it really well. And it's one of those things where you re- you just you don't realize until after the movie's over, like how good that performance is, because the character is actively annoying you during the movie. And then you're like, oh, he did his job really well, because that's exactly how I felt watching him in this movie. And in his other roles and in, in Alita, I feel like he's just distracting almost. The next one on the list, uh, this one actually, the trailer looked great. I like the characters that are in it. I like the actors that are in it. Directed by Stephen Merchant, and this is Fighting With My Family, which the the tagline here is, or the, the, the plot synopsis is, a former wrestler and his family make a living performing at small venues around the country while his kids dream of joining World Wrestling Entertainment, the WWE. Uh, I have not seen, again, just to reiterate uh, to everyone listening, I have not any all of these movies I'm mentioning to Adam. I have not seen, so this one looks like a lot of fun. How was fighting with my family? Uh, it's mostly good. Um, it's it's not great in any way, but uh, it's very diverting. It's a sports movie, so I think that if you're looking for just kind of an inspirational rags to riches type of sports film, then it'll it'll kind of fill that need. I like the lead actress a lot, Florence Pugh. I think she's really engaging and, and likable. And um, it's funny at times. Um, Nick Frost plays her father, who's kind of this veteran wrestling, kind of like uh, like an independent league wrestling champ or something like that. And now he runs a gym where he teaches uh, kids in the area like how to wrestle and things like that. And then um, Florence Pugh's brother is also a wrestler who's trying to get into WWE um, at the same time as she is. And he looks so much like a young Simon Pegg that I found it really odd that they never like called any attention to this. Cause I'm just like, he's Simon Pegg. And then you got Nick Frost right there. Like, do they not know this? Like, <laughs> am I the only one seeing this? So I think it's a pretty good sports movie. Um, Vince Vaughn plays the kind of motivational coach and the guy who takes the wrestlers from re- recruiting them into, I think it's NXT is kind of like the, the minor league level of WWE and then finds people to eventually go into WWE. And I found him funny in this movie, but I don't think he's supposed to be funny, but I'm at the stage with Vince Vaughn where I laugh more when he's being serious than I am when he's trying to tell a joke, because I feel like it's so it's such an odd fit. Like in Hacksaw Ridge, when he's like grilling people (laughs) and he's supposed to be like this badass, I was just like, this is hilarious. Like I would have to do so many pushups if I were in his regimen because I would be laughing at him the entire time. That was an interesting casting choice. I'll admit when I saw Hacksaw Ridge, because at some point I was expecting him to to dish out a little more like actual humor, but he was playing it really, you know, uh, close to the vest and very straight laced. And I'll agree with you that that was uh, an odd casting choice. Yeah. And he also like in his, he, he always looks like you just woke him up. <laughs> <laughs> like every take is just like, they just woke him up. And then he's just like, oh, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So th- you'll put that as a, as a mild recommendation on, uh, yeah. on fighting with my family. Yeah. Okay, excellent. All right, so the the next one I wrote down is uh, Happy Death Day to You. 
Now, I just recently watched the first Happy Death Day, and I'll admit, I had a good time watching that film. I thought it was really enjoyable, and, and just based on the strength of that, this was a movie that I absolutely would have, have jumped at seeing if I was still going to the theater. What are your thoughts on the film? Yeah, I like the I like the sequel better than the first one. The first one I thought was sort of weak for a horror movie and felt like something you would show 12-year-olds at a sleepover, which... I don't mean it as like a pejorative, but that's kind of, I don't know. I was expecting one thing and I got something a lot more, God, this is not what I was, uh, softer edged, I guess. And then Happy Death Day to You is interesting because they go straight back to the future too with it. And they pitch it as a sci-fi comedy more than a horror movie. And I think the premise works really well as that. So it's not a great movie, but I think it's really fun in a 80s kind of way. That one's got me a little, your your analysis of the films got me really intrigued, and um, I may bump that to the top of the list of films to watch tonight. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that brings me to the next one that I wrote on my list, and I wrote this one with a big giant question mark next to it, as far as, is this a movie I would have jumped out to the theater to go see? And that, of course, is Captain Marvel. And the reason I say that is not because of any of that ridiculously stupid controversy that was surrounding the film, but just because the fact of the matter is it was a Marvel film, and I have had a very checkered past with Marvel films. So, Captain Marvel will be on video on demand rather soon. Is this a good Marvel film? And when I say a good Marvel film, I mean I have seen... 12 of the 20 Marvel films so far, and a lot of them I've I've really enjoyed. Is this a good Marvel MCU film? It's like the upper 60 percentile. I'll put it that way. It's 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 in that middle range, but I'm a little bit more affectionate about it than I am, say, like Thor or something like that. Some some other movie that I put in the middle or Doctor Strange. Um it's it, it doesn't ever really click, um, but and I think Brie Larson will have the Doctor Strange thing happen to her where once you see her in Avengers Endgame, she really kind of gets like uh, where she really shines and she really kind of pops as a character where I felt like Doctor Strange in his own origin movie didn't really come to life. And then in Infinity War, I thought he was a lot of fun. Um this is like, uh, it feels like a very early Marvel movie as opposed to like a later Marvel movie. It's kind of weird in that regard, but they do have um, a lot of alien characters in it. So it kind of has like a vibe of Star Trek The Next Generation, which I enjoyed. Um, it's pretty nerdy. It's uh, I, I saw it twice because um, one of my friends wanted to see it who hadn't. So I went with him. It was my second time. And I ended up liking it more the second time than I did the first time. The first time I was a little disappointed. But the second time I kind of knew what it was. And I think it's got a good message about women not caring or not or not needing to care about what a man thinks defines them as successful because i think there's an element of that throughout the movie where it's jude law is kind of like her mentor and it's like well you have to prove this to me and then you don't like this is an imp this is an artificial imposition that he's putting on brie larson it's up to her to define who she is and what's important to her and what 
she values and is successful and it's not up to him as a man to do that. So I think they, they subtly work that in and it's really nice and effective. Is there any Marvel film that I, that you would say it would be required viewing in order to watch this film? Uh, maybe just infinity war. Okay. Probably. Which I have yeah. seen, which I have seen. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There isn't too much that kind of ties it all, all, all back. So if, as long as you know Shield and you know like Agent Coulson and Nick Fury and kind of where Captain Marvel is going to eventually be in Endgame because they reference her at the end of Infinity War, I think you're good. Okay. Just a random thought here: the Marvel machine, no signs of slowing down. Would you agree? No, no, I don't think so. I think they might kind of back off a little bit where it's uh like after Endgame, they haven't really you kind of have an idea of what is going to be coming next just based off of the properties that they haven't milked just yet but i think they might slow it down a little bit just to let you kind of drive up the desire to see more marvel movies if that makes sense but i think i mean it's not going to go anywhere with Disney announcing the Disney Plus streaming service that is going to be released in November with a price tag of only $6.99 a month or $70 for the year, do you envision a possibility of them maybe backing off some of these single Marvel stories in favor of putting them in more episodic episodic content on the streaming services and sort of having these these standalone stories or these individual character stories on the streaming service all culminate with the big Avengers movies every year? Do you see more focus going to their streaming service? I, I do. I, I think that if they need to introduce characters, they'll still go the feature route. But I think that what you're seeing from, at least what I read of the Disney Plus announcements, you're going to get like a Hawkeye television series and like one with Bucky and with... um. But what's his name? The the Falcon and things like that. So I think uh, I think Scarlet Witch is supposed to have a show. So I think like some of these characters that have been introduced in other movies that are supporting players uh, will find their way more onto the Disney streaming services as actors in those series than as ones who are headlining their own movie, which is fine by me because I don't really need like a like a, a Hawkeye movie. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, and that's what I was thinking too. So, and I think that a lot of these MCU stories would fit better in sort of a, uh, you know, what's the, like a daredevil style, mm-hmm. you know, like what Netflix was doing. Do you find it suspicious that Netflix canceled all their Marvel series shortly before Disney launches theirs? No, no, it, it's not surprising. Um, I'm wondering if it had to do with some kind of a licensing, right, where Netflix had it for only a set amount of time, um, and then they had to relinquish the rights back to Disney or something like that. Because um, I noticed that, uh, like, so Netflix currently has, like, Black Panther and Ant-Man and the Wasp and Avengers Infinity War, but you would think, like, they're all eventually going to be pulled from Netflix because they're going to be on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. So I think it'll be one of those things, like, when it was on, you know, back in the day when it was cable, where, like, a movie would have exclusive rights to HBO and their network of cable stations like Cinemax as opposed to 
Showtime and the movie channel or something like that, or stars and encore. Is the price point enough for you to say you'll, you'll sign up for Disney plus day one? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, um, I don't know so much about the original programming, but the thing I'm looking forward to most is having all of the classic Disney animated movies, um, in one place. So I'm going to be at least signing up for it for a few months so I can just kind of go through that list because it's something I've always been kind of meaning to return to. And I, I haven't yet just because a lot of the, um, unless you're renting them um, one at a time, it's kind of cost prohibitive to purchase these. They're, they're very expensive. Yeah. And there's a lot of, I mean, let's be honest, you know, it's easy to call Disney this, you know, you know, international conglomerate, which is super greedy and, and, and gobbling up all the competition and things like that. But the reality is they made a lot of great movies over the past 80, 90 years. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to be a day one subscriber. I mean, at least I'll at least give it a try. That's for sure. I would love to see them because I saw the the kind of the tiers that they're going to have where it's, um, you know, like Lucasfilm and Star Wars and Marvel and uh, Pixar and then Disney classic, so to speak. But I, w- I would really love to see them add their touchstone and Hollywood pictures libraries in there. That would be great. Well, see, that's another question I wanted to ask you, because if you look at Touchstone and Hollywood Picture, uh, you know, there are a lot of R-rated films in in that catalog. Yeah. And from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong or listeners correct me, they're going to shy away from the mature content on this platform. That's what they've got Hulu for, because they also own Hulu. So, you know, as much as I agree with you, I don't know if that necessarily will happen. Yeah, I don't know either. One thing I'm kind of interested in seeing how they kind of finesse this, though, is I know that they're very proud of owning Fox Searchlight now. Yeah. And they were saying that that's not something where they intend to kind of uproot it, where, you know, these independent films have to all be PG-13 or PG or whatever. So I don't know. Maybe there's some hope there that this is going to be they're going to treat it like their old Miramax or their old Touchstone or or Hollywood Pictures. I would I would love for them to take advantage of that because I don't understand why that wouldn't be an appealing business model for them. Well, if you if you want to be an Oscar consideration, uh, you know, just look over the past 40 years. How many of the best picture winners were R rated? Several, I would say the majority of them were. I mean, the Green Book was PG-13, but, you know, you go through a lot of these films, you know, you have to have the adult, not I want to say the adult content, but you have to at least be able to, if you want to tell really compelling stories and, and, and through the independent lens, I don't think you can do that when you're constraining yourself or, or, or limiting yourself to a PG-13 rating. Right. So just a theory. Okay. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the next one on the list, which this was one, this is a film that I almost said, all right, I'm going to go see this, but it, it's just, it's, it hasn't been out long enough for me to go see it. And, and, you know, two years ago, Jordan Peele's Get Out was a movie that I loved on multiple levels. And I thought sort of the spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, well, you know, I won't spoil it. The, the, the twist in, in Get Out, you know, what's really happening at this home, I thought was so brilliant and so just well conceived that I just, I love the film. And, I, and you know, I wouldn't have been surprised and I would have been okay if that film would have won Best Picture for 2017. That's how great I thought that movie was. Talk about 
us for a moment and your thoughts on the film and the fact that here's 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 one thing I want to say about it. I like to gauge. I work with a lot of uh, coworkers that are varied in age, from uh, early twenties up until the you know mid fifties, with all ages in between. And I might be the only one at my job that hasn't actually seen this movie yet. And unlike Get Out, this one has been very well. It's 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 garnered some very polarizing reviews from my coworkers. Some really liked it. Some did not like it at all. And I want to know where this movie stands for you. And then, you know, do you understand why there is this divisiveness about the film? I do. Um, it's kind of a complex answer, though, but I'll get to that in a second. As far as what I thought of the movie, um, I if I'm talking just amongst friends, I probably would be more negative. If I was talking just in general, kind of giving my opinion, I would be more positive and pointing out what I appreciate about the movie. There are things I like about the movie. I like Lupita Nyong'o. I think she's fantastic in the movie and like a dual performance. Um, And I think it's very well made. It's a great looking movie. It's from a technical craft standpoint. It's top notch. Um, I think that it's a mess. And I think that it's one of those movies where Jordan Peele has sort of just through one movie through get out, become the subtext guy where like, you can't just sit and watch his movie. You have to think about what it all means. And I think it does the actual movie as an experience, a disservice because there's a lot of, plot holes and there's a lot of things that don't make sense if on a textual level um on a subtextual level i think it's interesting i think he's trying to say a lot at once and it doesn't all congel or it doesn't kind of gel together um so it's it's a tough movie because i admire his ambition Um, And I think that he's got a lot of things that he wants to say. And it's something that I think movie fans are hungry for. Like so many movies come out that are just kind of empty and his movies aren't. So you feel bad not championing his movie. Like for me, I, uh, but um, I don't know. I think that he's got a problem with horror, honestly. Like, and I, I, I feel like he's, a very good filmmaker, but horror is a genre that he just can't get his hands around. Like I like get out a lot and I think it's a pretty terrific movie, but I also think that he doesn't do a good job of, for me, I, he doesn't do a great job of blending the comedy with the horror. I think he kind of undercuts the horror by the Lil Rel Howry character kind of popping up and being an audience surrogate all the time. I feel like you need to keep that out of the movie. Like, yeah, okay, he's a stand-in for the audience, but you shouldn't have to have that in your movie. Like, just I, for me, it's just like, just tell your story. And I think every time he shows up kind of in the middle of the movie, with the exception of the last scene, which I think is it's very important that he's there, um, I think he kind of cuts away from the tension. Um, and with us, I feel like I'm so focused on the movie from an intellectual and analytical level that on a thrills level it feels like a really soft horror movie, like something that I would recommend 
to people who say like, I want to watch a scary movie, but I don't like horror. Like, what should I watch? I would say, oh, you should watch Us because it's very much like almost PG-13. Okay, so it just sort of straddles the the R rating. Yeah, I think it's a pretty soft R. Like, I, there's it's definitely an R because there's violence and there's I think there's some language in it, but it it doesn't feel like from a mood like oh this is like a Rob Zombie R. It feels like a very accessible R. Something that ten years down the road with his you know, some like ten years down the road it will definitely be PG thirteen just with the way the ratings trends are heading. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's closer to like PG-13 than to hardcore R-rated. That one I'm still very interested in seeing, but that just struck me really as a movie that I need to make sure I've got zero interruptions watching that film. And that, again, just with my local theater, that's, that's just it's just a risk I wasn't willing to take. Yeah, I, I think like it's very important to a lot of people mainly mo- and what I when I'm what I mean is movie fans that Jordan Peele is a success. And I think that's coloring opinions of just this movie, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. Because you you, you talk about uh, Get Out was made on a $4 million budget. I believe this one, don't quote me, but I believe this was made on about a $20 million budget. And it's getting big, wide theatrical releases in there uh, for the lot, for, I mean, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, original stories that are being told. And uh, we desperately need that in the theater. Otherwise, it's going to be a good original content is going to be relegated just to the streaming services, which is not horrible. But I still like to go to the theater to see original movies. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean, so I, I, I'm I'm hoping he's successful because, you know, and he's working with Blumhouse a lot. And, you know, they're they they've got a good model. I just wish they would expand beyond horror. A little bit. Yeah, so. I mean, he, he he just represents so many things that are important to be successful in movies. It's like original filmmaker, horror genre on a mainstream level. Um, you know, he's a African American director. He hires predominantly African American casts. Um, he can make anything that he wants at this point because, from a production standpoint or a director standpoint, he can get almost anything greenlit so it's so important that like every movie of his is good and financially successful at this moment because the more that are the more he can make and the more that other people uh can make but yeah if it 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 puts you in kind of a weird position where if you don't completely love the movie you feel bad like you feel defensive yeah that's a good that's a good way to look at it yeah so on March 29th, there were two movies released. One was a remake, and the other was an original film by Harmony Corinne. Now, I saw Spring Breakers in the theater, and I think that came out in 2013, possibly 2013. And it did come out in 2013. So that movie came out in 2013. And <laughs> it's one of those movies where it started, I saw it opening day, Friday, a 1 p.m. showing, and there was maybe about 40 people in the theater, and by the time the movie was over, uh, there was about four of us left. And that's, oh. I, th- I think if if you're familiar with Harmony Corinne's uh, filmography, that's probably not a surprise to most people, you know. The Beach Bum, which stars Matthew McConaughey, is a movie that I will not go see in the theater because I want to be able to take breaks. 
that's the one thing I wish I could have done during Spring Breakers was pause the movie, go clear my head for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then come back to it. And I realized that that's what you get with Harmony Corinne films. So have you seen The Beach Bum? I tried. Um, I have like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I don't see a movie until like I've seen a movie. And what I mean by that is just because I get to the theater, it's not a guarantee that I'm going to see the movie that I intend to see. Um, sometimes I'll go and I just change my mind and I see something else. Sometimes I go and I'm sitting there and it's the trailers and I'm like, I don't feel like seeing a movie anymore. And then I'll just get up and like, go to Target. Um, and I have that AMC Stubbs A-list thing. So I'm paying a flat rate every month. I'm paying like $22 a month to see upwards of three movies a week. So there's like no harm in just getting up and leaving if you're not feeling like seeing a movie. So like if I'm, you know, it, it's like Netflix. Like It's like just turning off a movie. The only difference is I drove. So with the Beach Bum, I was like, okay, yeah, this is one of the two movies that kind of clicked for me this weekend that I sort of wanted to see. And I've seen Spring Breakers and I like Spring Breakers and I'm curious to see what his follow-up is going to be like. And then I got to the theater and I drove there and I parked I turned my car off and then I just sat there and I was like, do I really feel like watching this right now? And then I just couldn't like, just, I, I like my feet wouldn't get out of the car. Like I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So I turned my car <laughs> back on and then I like picked up lunch and I went home and I watched baseball. <laughs> it's one of those things I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because I completely get it. You know, one of the things you said, you talk about having that the, the pass at AMC, and it just it, it sort of invoked a memory of, you know, when when we look back to the late '80s, early '90s, when we would go to the video store, you know, we we whatever we chose, and after we'd spend forty five minutes, an hour, sometimes two hours, picking out one or two movies, you, you commit it to them. And I remember towards the uh, the waning days of Blockbuster when they started introducing these monthly memberships where you could rent you know, as many movies as you wanted, that I started to do something very similar to what you would do in that I would rent a movie. The blockbuster closest to me was a like a two-minute drive. So I would rent a movie, watch it for 30 minutes, and go right back. And there were times that I would make six or seven visits to the blockbuster in a day. Because, because, <laughs> because you know, because, oh, and it's the Netflix thing. Because when all of a sudden we're not, we're not limited anymore, we're we're less likely to commit to a something. I think it's an it's an interesting theory that is still in play today. Yeah, I have that all the time. Like if I if I check out a movie from my local library, it's like a one in four chance I actually watch it before I return it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like I just have it as an option now, and that's what that means. So the other movie that came out on March 29th was uh, Disney's live-action adaptation of Dumbo. So I've got two questions for you. Disney's model of re just redoing, making live-action, I say that in air quotes, live-action adaptations of beloved animated feature films. Your thoughts on that as a whole, and what did you think of Dumbo? I'm normally not a fan of it. Uh, I, I remember, I'm trying to think back of what movies they've done this for. I haven't seen Cinderella. Um, I have seen the jungle book and I fell asleep during it. 
Um, I saw Beauty and the Beast, and I remember like appreciating it on the same level that I appreciated Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I don't think was the intent. Because <laughs> I was just like, oh, look at these sets and these costumes. Nothing is interesting in this movie, but look at these sets and these costumes. Uh, Dumbo was good. I... I think that I'm like most people where I feel like Tim Burton's made the same movie for 30 years and sometimes I'm in the mood for it and sometimes I'm not and more often I'm not. But with this one, um, I think just from a sheer visual uh, standpoint, it's pretty remarkable. And I saw it in IMAX and I really... uh, appreciated just kind of all the work that put into the set design and art direction. Um, I think that it's kind of a not great Dumbo movie. Um, it's, it's like he forgets that it's about Dumbo and then has to put Dumbo back in there. Cause he's so much more interested in like the Danny DeVito character or like the Michael Keaton character or Eva green and stuff like that. But I, I found myself enjoying it more than I, thought that I would, which is saying something. And I like the approach that they took with it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the original Dumbo, the Disney animated film from the, I think it's the forties. Um, it's a beautiful movie and it's very short. It's like 65 minutes. And this one's about two hours. And I, and the way that they kind of do that is they take like a remake approach, but then they take the Mary Poppins returns approach where they make it a sequel also, or like, hook where it's like a sequel to Peter Pan and um, what they do with it is interesting. And, and I, I kind of dug it. So it's a, it's a good one. Okay. Excellent. Let's talk about another remake that just came out last weekend and that is pet cemetery. Now I, I have not seen the 1989 pet cemetery since uh, I remember watching it on VHS, maybe the year after it came out and movie terrified me and uh, i know that on if this movie their most recent episode patrick and robin discussed that film and what's interesting about it is you know when patrick and robin decide to go into spoilers i said huh well i'm just gonna listen and so i li- i just listened to the entire episode and, and, and great episode by the way what are your thoughts on pet cemetery I'll, I'll invite listeners to check out the f this movie episode i won't go get into i won't spoil what robin and patrick thought about the movie but i will ask you your thoughts on the film i was disappointed by it i i, I don't love the 1989 pet cemetery but i saw it at a time that it left a big impact on me because I was about 10 and I saw them, I saw it at a sleepover and I was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty startled by it. So, um, it stuck with me and there's some imagery in that movie and just con- just concepts that are, are really freaky. And I think it still works. I saw it again, maybe like a year or two ago and it still holds up as like this ugly, but effectively scary movie. Um, the new one I feel like is it's got a giant handicap on it, which is that you, it, whether you know it from the book or you know the 1989 movie, most people know the story right. and most people know the beats. So they know that there's tr- a truck accident with a child. They know that there's the the um, Zelda who's like the creepy sister with the meningitis the spinal meningitis and everything like that so you're expecting these beats already and 
because of it, whether the directors of the new one follow those or they upend them or they go further and make it even more kind of morbid, you're expecting it. So like you always are thinking of what their choices are and you can never let the movie just kind of take you over. So that was the thing that I found really kind of odd about it was no matter how dark they went, I was primed for them to go so dark and that way nothing really had any impact on me. And I think that the movie's weirdly paced where uh, Robin and Patrick mentioned it. it. It's like nothing happens for an hour and 15 minutes and then everything happens in the last 30 minutes. And uh, it just feels very hurried um, at the end of it and not very satisfying. Um, I it, it was a disappointment because I'm a fan of um, the directors. It's Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer, I think. Um, they directed an independent horror movie called Starry Eyes from a few years ago. And it's one of the scariest movies I've seen in the 2000s. It's really no hold barred. And just just from an uh, viscerally upsetting, it's a very good movie, but it's very it's very punishing in a way that really good horror movies can be. And this was this felt very much like uh, a studio compromised version of what they probably wanted to do. So I'll ask this question. Fred Gwynn or John Lithgow? Both good, but it's impossible to beat Fred Gwynn. Okay, that's that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. so uh, let me ask you this: uh, anything come out on VOD this year so far that I think uh, you think is worth checking out? Uh, yeah, there's been some interesting stuff. Um, some of the things that I would recommend is if you're a subscriber to Shutter, which is a horror movie streaming service, they kind of like bill it as Netflix for horror fans. Um, there's a documentary called Horror Noir. Um, that's really good. And it is about the African-American perspective and experience in the horror genre and exploitation genre from the beginning through Night of the Living Dead, now through the modern era with Get Out. And it's very interesting because not all it's one of those rare documentaries where there's not one voice, meaning a lot of the talking heads don't necessarily always agree with one person's take or another person's take, but almost all of the perspectives are different than what most horror talk is usually centered around. So um, for instance, you know, they'll be talking about the movie Candyman, and I just because being a horror fan, most of the most of the film writers about the horror genre are white men and women. Um, you don't hear much about, you know, is Candyman is it good like to would do African American um, entertainers or film fans like that Candyman is like a quote unquote black Freddy Krueger or is that like a perpetuation of a stereotype and things like that so i liked all the varying perspectives and it's one of the best movies overall i've seen all year so if you subscribe to that service i would really recommend that one it's a very good movie um I saw a few on Netflix that were surprisingly okay. Like I, I saw Triple Frontier with Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac, and it's a very straightforward 
action movie that feels like a real movie. Um, it feels like a missing Joe Carnahan movie and it's really fun and it's good. It's, um, it doesn't go in all the directions that you would expect. The performances are strong. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very solid effort by Netflix. Um, I saw the dirt, which is the Motley Crue biopic and it's a, bad movie but it's very entertaining um <laughs> i liked it more than bohemian rhapsody so i'll give it that and then i saw um on vod i watched dragged across concrete which is the the follow-up to bone tomahawk and brawl in cell block 99 by writer director s craig zoller and he's kind of a controversial figure because he's very unpc and he's um you know, just he makes very guy movies like with a capital G U Y and some of it is good. And some of it is kind of, it really puts me off uh, and it seems like his detractors and um, fans get very fortified in their positions. And I'm kind of more in the middle of the road of it where I like, I appreciate a lot of the stuff that he does. I think he's a very, he's very good at making quiet, character studies that are interesting but he also has like kind of a string of ugliness in his movies that i find difficult to take but you know well it's okay i'll say this i'll say this i was looking at some movies and uh if i can make a recommendation billy corbin's uh well first let me say about dragged across concrete uh i was looking for something to watch on 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 vod the other night and to be honest with you what turned me off about watching dragged across concrete was the runtime of two hours and 40 minutes which i just said i i can't commit to that right now and mm. and i'm wondering does it feel like a two hour and 40 minute long film uh yeah it definitely kind of has that sprawling nature like if you're watching heat it's okay. that type of movie yeah okay uh if i could make a recommendation uh uh april 5th um billy corbin who is the director of films such a uh, documentary such as Cocaine Cowboys and Dogfight and and he did uh, uh, three I believe three ESPN thirty for thirty documentaries the U the U Part Two and the one uh, the one broke about all these athletes that have basically lost their their fortunes when they're playing professional sports uh, his new movie is called Screwball and it is this insane tale that revolves around Anthony Anthony Bosch and the biogenesis biogenesis baseball scandal that kind of took down a lot of really prominent baseball players including Alex Rodriguez and uh, I tweeted after watching it that this was by far the most ambitious film that Billy Corbin has made to date. And I said it's a grand slam. And if you're a if you're a baseball fan, this movie is is right up your alley. And if you're just a fan of really crazy bat, I mean, really batshit crazy, like no way this really happened in real life type of stories. This is another one. This is a this is definitely the documentary you need to check out. So strong recommendation for Screwball. Awesome. So, yeah, it looked interesting. So yeah, it's it's really it's it's inter- it is an interesting thing because you know there's a lot of documentaries like I just recently rewatched uh, or I watched um, the Legend of Cocaine Island, which uh, I, I was really fascinated by it because the the main characters in this documentary live about 20 minutes north of me, and I, the the surroundings where the story takes place is all very familiar to me. So I was interested in it, and what I thought was unique is that they did a lot of reenactments in the documentary for the legend of cocaine Island using the real people. 
Like he, he got the real people just to reenact what happened. And that was fascinating. Whereas in Screwball, Billy Corbin gets uses child actors to play all the adult roles. And it sounds on paper, it sounds a little crazy, but it actually really works. And that's where I really say that, you know, this was his most ambitious film so far, because this is the first one that does actual reenactments of the events that take place. And it's really interesting and, and really funny in some parts. Uh, did you see The Legend of Cocaine Island? No, I haven't. That's a that's a really interesting story. It's a quick 90 minute documentary. I think it's it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, the one you mentioned called Broke sounds right up my alley. I'm I, I'm probably gonna watch that right away. Oh, it's it's fascinating because it is it is not like an uh, an, an unauthorized expose. It's like no, it's all these people. It's all these people mm-hmm. just sitting down and being interviewed and talking about how they lost all of their money. And it's yeah. it's it's interesting and it's it's really sad at the same time too because you realize that a lot of these a lot of these athletes they were just taken to the cleaners by their by their the people that were supposed to be looking out for their best interests and in some cases that even means their family members and it's a it's a really kind of heart-wrenching story to watch yeah yeah i've heard a lot of similar sports stories where especially if you're like a hometown product and you play for like your hometown team just the hangers on can just eat you just eat you away yeah and it's it's really really well done let's talk about a few upcoming releases um over the next four months because the idea again is to have you back on to talk about these theatrically released in some vod films once every four months quarterly if you will uh just right off the bat i mean i'm sure you're looking forward to avengers which comes out two weeks from now i mean i I assume Yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, it's funny because it's the type of thing where I kind of, res- I, I was never like a Marvel hater or Marvel basher, but I sort of resisted it because I didn't like just how frequent they came out. It just felt like having like three Aerosmith albums a year. I'm like, I've, I got enough. I'm like, I'm good. But, um, no, I mean, like when I, when I've seen the anticipation of it and like, oh, tickets are available, I got excited. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's just I'm just going to cruise down, take a look here at some some upcoming films. You've got Long Shot with uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Have you seen the trailers for that? I have. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because it just looks like kind of an old fashioned romantic comedy. And I'm in the mood for that. All right. And what about Pokemon Detective Pikachu? Uh, Yeah, I'll see that with my family. Um, They're very excited about it. I've never really like gotten into Pokemon, but I... I very much kind of recognize that this is kind of like how I felt about Ninja Turtles to them. So I'm excited that they're excited. Excellent. Uh, John Wick Chapter 3, that's one that I'll probably go see in the theater. I, I really, those are just, I think they're just quality films. What are your thoughts? I'm all in. I'm very excited about it. I I adore Keanu Reeves, especially in action films and uh, his the the John Wick movies are just getting better. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And and John Wick Chapter Two left off on such a cliffhanger that you had no choice but to see this this one as soon as it comes out. So yeah. I'm really excited. Uh looks like we've got a Doom Annihilation. Doom referring to the video game movie that starred The Rock from a few years back. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. It says uh the, the synopsis is follows a group of space marines as they respond to a distress call from a base on a Martian moon, only to discover it's been overrun by demonic creatures who threaten to create hell on earth. Well that's 
That's the synopsis for the video game. That's Does that. it say who's in it? Uh, Louis Mandalori, Amy Manson, Nia Berman, and it's directed by a guy by the name of Tony Gilo. Okay, I'm guessing that'll be like direct to video. Yeah, the studio behind it, it's Universal. Oh, okay. So. Well, they do direct to video. They're doing Backdraft Two straight to yeah. You video. Sent, you sent me the trailer for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sony Pictures will be releasing a Dog's Journey coming out. Let's see, <laughs> good for them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures uh, will be releasing on May twenty fourth, Aladdin. Uh, now, is it just me? And this one's directed by Guy Ritchie. Now, is it just me, or when the very first teaser trailer came out, where Will Smith was all done up in blue, and there was such an uh uh. Well, I don't know. People were not happy about that, that when yeah. the second trailer comes out and you see Will Smith just not blue. Do you think that was a conscious decision to say, you know what, let's just take that effect off? No, I think he's going to be blue and not blue. I think he's just kind of a magical being who takes different shapes and forms. So it doesn't surprise me too much. I'm guessing that that was already in the movie and that they didn't do any type of like massive color timing correction or okay. anything like that. Uh, yeah. mo- a movie that I'm I'm actually looking very much forward to is the uh, Sony Pictures release of Brightburn. Now, here is a, another example of a trailer that wants you to believe that James Gunn is the director when, in fact, he is not. But this one stars Elizabeth Banks, and it is the synopsis is, What if a child from another world crash-landed on Earth, but instead of becoming a a hero to mankind, he proved to be something far more sinister? You've seen the trailers for Brightburn, I I assume? I have, yeah. What are your thoughts? It's an interesting idea. I I, I think that it's it's kind of an obvious idea, so I'm wondering outside of the trailer what they're going to do with it. Um, But I don't know. I've never really, like, gotten the same chills that most people do by Superman, at least in movies. So I'm hoping that this is sort of my kind of punk rock take that I need. I don't know. Well, I'm concerned. And again, this is, I have not seen the film, but I'm concerned that this is going to be a super contained story that I don't think is going to be as ambitious as the idea presents. And that's, I, I'm getting more of a slasher film vibe just from the trailer. Yeah, I am too. So well, it'll be, it, it, but it's definitely one that I'm interested in checking out. And the fact that it's rated R plays a big role in that and in, in me wanting to see that film. Yeah. Uh, let's see on May 31st, Warner brothers and legendary pictures will be releasing Godzilla King of the monsters. And I, the way you described watching the Lego movie is the way I felt watching the trailer for Godzilla King of the Monsters looks like the worst CGI I have seen since the Star Wars prequels. It just looks terrible. Okay. I didn't like Godzilla. I I, I didn't like the Godzilla from a few years ago, and I didn't like the King Kong from a few years ago. I'm always – I always want to like these movies, and then I see them, and I don't. So I'm guessing I'll have the same opinion of this one. What I didn't – I was super excited to see Godzilla when it came out. And the choice that Gareth Edwards made to use the – what I like to call the Jaws approach, where 
you don't show Godzilla or just you only show tiny glimpses of him for the first two acts of the film. And then we get the big, you know, climactic battle. I I thought that was a bad decision because we already know what Godzilla looks like. You know, so yep. this, this idea of just teasing glimpses of him, uh, to me, that you when you finally get to that scene in the airport where you see Godzilla's foot and the camera rises up and you're like, OK, this is what I paid my fourteen dollars for. Here we go. And it just cuts to interior of the apartment where the little kid is watching TV and it's just showing glimpses. I'm like, whoa, no, no. I felt cheated there. I said, no, yeah. this, this, this is, I really felt cheated on that one. So by the time we got to the big finale at the end, I, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. When I, when that movie came out, my joke was that it was like watching the end of Jaws, but like if a child on the beach was watching Jaws attack the orca. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's so good. <laughs> That is so good. <laughs> I think the problem with these monster movies is they need to work as action movies first. And the people who are making them don't pick their moments. Like if you just kind of threw somebody in at, at the beginning of the film and it was just a straight up kind of war like a Black Hawk Down type of situation and you're like right in the middle of it and then oh yeah by the way Godzilla is the you know the big elements that you need to fight off I think that I think that could work but every one of the it's always you know the initial catastrophe and then everyone's sad and then the scientists are trying to convince the military it's always the same thing that's a good point. And the very first teaser trailer for Godzilla shows the the guys doing the uh, the halo jumps, the skydiving. And it's oh. if you watch that trailer, it sounds exactly like how you describe like, oh, shit, here's the military is going to do something about Godzilla. But that's not the movie we got. Not at all. Yeah, I have. Um, all right. So I'm not I I'm one of those, you know, guys who's just like, oh, I've got a great idea for like a scene in a movie, but I could never be a director. Like I give all the respect in the world to actual storytellers, but all right. If I were to ever reboot jaws or have a sequel to jaws, this is how I would open it. You know, remember like years ago, how they had that YouTube video where the guy did like a sky jump from outer space into the atmosphere. And it was like a skydive. Yeah. Felix Baumgartner. Yeah. 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 I, I, it's so funny. You say that I watched that yesterday. It just showed up in oh. one of my recommended videos. I watched it when they aired it, but that's so funny you say that because I just watched it and it's the most incredible thing. It's so tense. It <laughs> is. Just watching it like on a phone, you're just like freaking out. So you start the movie with that and it's just like, it's just this guy and he's like doing this, this amazing feat of courage and bravery and craziness. And then He's landing into the Earth's atmosphere and his chute opens and he's landing into the ocean. And then, oh, no, Jaws is there. <laughs> and that's how you open Jaws 5. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> you got to take like the fucking crazy chances like this. Let's 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 put it together a treatment. I'll send it to Phil because I'm sure he's still got connections over at Universal. 
<laughs> yeah. Sure. I don't even care if somebody steals that idea. I just want to see it. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, released also on May 31st will be Universal's biopic Rocket Man, which uh, the synopsis here is a musical fantasy about the fantastical human story of Elton John's breakthrough years. Uh, no. I, I've kind of gotten over a certain hump of cynicism with these movies and not in the way that I, I think you, you think it's not like, Oh, I used to be cynical of these, but they broke down my wall. No, I'm like over another vault of cynicism with them where I want them to gross a billion dollars and win all the Oscars because I just wanted to reinforce. I'm like, yep, I was right. People will buy anything. So this one's got like a line in the trailer that I constantly make fun of with friends where one guy tells Elton John, he's just like, you got to kill the person you were born so you could become the person you want to be. And then we just like, it's so, it's such a weird, stupid line that we just kind of embellish on it. I'm like, you have to graphically murder your current self. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Just uh, just a couple more here. Uh, I'm just going to run through a few names here, and just you feel free to talk about any one that stands out. So you got Dark Phoenix, Phoenix coming out June 7th, Secret Life of Pets 2, Men in Black International, Shaft, Toy Story 4, Child's Play. I mean, we're, this is where we're right into the meat of the big releases. Uh, yeah. Annabelle Comes Home, Spider-Man, Far From Home. Let me ask you about that. The decision to do the trailer... To debut the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home before we have the resolution of uh, Infinity War. Is this – and I might be missing this. Is this a prequel? I don't know. Um, I think that them doing the preview – in a lot of ways, people are like, oh, well, you're spoiling that Spider-Man comes back. And I never – thought that he would be permanently gone at the end of infinity war. It's like, he's too much of a brand that it would be impossible for them just to leave it there. Same with like black Panther and things like that. Like if, if say Spider-Man went, but like black Panther didn't, I'd be like, Oh, maybe Spider-Man's done. And that's like a big surprise. But with both of them, I'm like, you have to do more black Panther movies too. So it's like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, like, I think that, the fact that we're asking that question, oh, is Far From Home a prequel or a sequel, means that they did about as good of a job as they could with the trailer while still promoting that the movie's actually coming out. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, one can look a little deeper at and say, well, this is a Sony Pictures release, and Sony still technically has the rights to Spider-Man. So yeah. they, they could just be saying, whatever. <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we're going to show you whatever we want. Just a couple of other ones. I, I mean, uh, Child's Play remake. I'm not. I'm not interested in that. Toy Story four. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I wish Pixar would just make an original um yeah. movie again. I mean, Toy Story two and three told the same story, and four looks like it's telling the same story as two and three. So what are we doing here? You've got Danny Boyle's film Yesterday, where a struggling musician realizes that he's the only person on earth who can remember the Beatles. I saw the trailer. Yeah. Interesting, interesting film. Uh, in interesting idea for a film. What do you think? I think it's a weird concept for two reasons. One is that they've got the they, the the lead actress in the movie is Lily James, who was in Mamma Mia Two, and she's terrific in that movie, and she can sing really well. And it looks like she's in a musical where she doesn't sing. So I think that's a curious choice. And then also, I don't understand like. 
the premise of this movie, are they saying, yeah, if you're a fan of something, steal it? <laughs> yeah, that's an yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Now, now is it? It says, it says here he, he's the only person on Earth who can remember the Beatles. So I mean, am I to believe that some type of mass psychosis has happened that has wiped out everybody's mind? Yeah. I mean, but are we only talking about Generation X and our generation, or the baby boomers? Because the millennials don't really remember the Beatles anyway. I'm just very, I'm just going all I over think, the place. I think they mean, yeah, I think they mean like no one except for him can yeah. remember the Beatles. Which I was talking to a couple of guys from F this movie about this. It's like. It's like, okay, say we did this with The Godfather, right? If, say, The Godfather was never in popular culture, if I went out and made The Godfather, it wouldn't still be The Godfather. It would just be me, like, making the script of The Godfather into a shitty movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't see him just, like, going in there and then singing The Beatles. It's like, that's not going to be what makes The Beatles The Beatles. <laughs> Could this be Danny Boyle as a diehard Beatles fan and is just saying, hey, this is my way of reintroducing the Beatles to a whole new generation by saying, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just speculating. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's an interesting idea. It's, it's like, what is he getting after? And then when we see the movie, we'll know finally. So, but you know, Danny Boyle's a, he's an interesting director. He's made a lot of interesting films. I think that's, anyone's going to deny that. Yeah, he's made enough good stuff where, like, you give him the benefit of the doubt. So, <laughs> released on, I'm just jumping ahead of one because the last one I want to talk about is going to be my most anticipated film of the year. So, I'm just jump, jumping in just a little bit of past that. We're going to talk about two more. Of course, we got the Lion King adaptation, live action adaptation, which, okay. So, I don't know. That looks even more pointless than some of the other Disney live action ones. Yeah. Like, this looks really pointless. So it's just to me like I love the Lion King animated film. I saw that in the theater and I remember and I was a, a teenager in high school and went and saw it and loved it. Thought it was great and uh, don't really want to see this. Uh, why? I don't either. I Yeah, and I'm the same way because I, I really like the original Lion King. Um, I saw it. They re-released it in theaters like two or three years ago for a couple weeks and I saw it and I cried in the theater and I was not expecting that. <laughs> and it's a really great movie. And this one, I just don't know what the purpose of it is because they're just hitting the beats, it seems like. So, and then I saw, like, I guess um, Chiwetel Ejiofor is doing the voice of Scar. And I don't want to judge it just based off of a trailer, but it's like, yeah, he's not even close to Jeremy Irons' level of just popping off the screen. So it's like you already feel like you're kind of, you know, playing from behind. Yeah. I just feel like it does. It just feels like a lesser version of the, of a, what is it? A great story that you could just, you know, Disney could re-release this thing in theaters. Like you said, every couple of years and it will make a hundred million every time it's released in theaters, like the, 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 the animated feature. Like yeah. It, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Um, I mean, I don't know why they're – I mean, I get why they're doing these because they make obscene amounts of money. But from a creative standpoint, I I don't get it at all. All right. So there's two more movies I want to talk about before we wrap things up. One is my most anticipated movie of the year, and the other is one that I thought 
perhaps is probably your most anticipated movie of the year, and I say that very tongue-in-cheek, and that mm. is Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Now, yeah. I, 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 there are no words. Please, just give me your thoughts on Hobbs and Shaw. It's the movie I'm least looking forward to the most this year that I know that I will see opening night. <laughs> That's why I said I say that your most anticipated film, tongue in cheek, because I was expecting a response like that. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's. Um, I feel like Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham are the two primary reasons why the Fast and Furious franchise kind of went off the rails because <laughs> of what their characters represent, um, and it's became this whole other thing, and it all like. It's like um, I'm going to compare it to like a a sports team. Okay, so you had the early Fast and Furious movies through maybe Fast and Furious Six. They were like a team that were coming into their own, and then finally they had like a winning season around like you know the halfway through, and then they started winning a lot, and then they were great. And then in Fast and Furious Seven, it was like, oh. Well, some of the fu- the people are infighting now and the chemistry isn't as good and they're still good, but it kind of was a mess and it was very stressful. And then Fast and Furious 8 is like the year everything went bad. <laughs> and I think a major reason of it is because of Jason Statham's character going from a villain to now like a good guy or like an anti-hero. And then you have Dwayne Johnson just being Mr. Franchise Taker over when <laughs> he was... He was the seasoning. He wasn't the stew. And then he decided he was the stew and fuck Dwayne Johnson because he's ruins everything. So um, the Hobbs and Shaw thing, I described it as like, do you have you seen Idiocracy? Uh, Yeah, once once a while ago. Yeah. Okay. do you remember that drink Brondo where it was like what they fed the grass and it killed all the grass and it was like an energy drink? (laughs) Yeah. So I described Hobbs and Shaw as like Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson's Brondo victory lap where like it's it's only made to irritate me. (laughs) And it's one of these things where you you talk about the infighting and, you know, I, I read that. Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson couldn't even be on set together, that they had to do, oh. they had to shoot their scenes separately and, and then edit them together. And that Tyrese yeah. is also like, he's like outraged that this movie's even being made. Yeah. So. No, it's like if Indiana Jones came out and Mutt Williams decided to have like a spinoff and he was and he couldn't shoot scenes with Harrison Ford. <laughs> Let me tell you something. They came real close to that ha- to to mutt to, to mutt taking over the franchise. They tried. Oh, they tried. I, I will go. I'll, I'll give Hobbs and Shaw my highest recommendation if Mutt Williams shows up <laughs> in Hobbs and Shaw, where it's not like Shia LaBeouf's in it. I mean, like the character Mutt yes. Williams. Yes, but at one point it. he just has to say, "Just do it." At some point in the movie, that's that yeah. would be the greatest. For the next four months, the most anticipated film for me, probably of the entire year, probably of the next couple of years, is, of course, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, there's not much really that needs to be said. This is a day one. I will go to the theater. I'll buy three tickets if I have to just ensure that no one sits next to me. I mean, what are we thinking? I mean, this is a this is an absolute must see, correct? 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's probably it's my most anticipated movie this summer, at least. Um, if not for episode nine, it probably sure. is my most look. Uh, the one I'm looking forward to most this year. Um, I think the cast is unbelievable, and Tarantino has never made a bad movie, and he cares. He's a director who really cares about making good movies. So as uh, I mean, I couldn't be more excited. I'm like you. I'll go see it the absolute first chance that I can. Uh, Jim Hemphill was telling me that he lives just a couple blocks off Sunset Boulevard. And when they were filming this movie, like all the streets were cut off because they had transformed like three or four city blocks into a complete recreation of 1969 down, uh, you know, Hollywood. And he said it was just incredible to be out there. And and that's that says something just about the it would have been so easy just to CGI those those things in there. But the fact that they took the time and, you know, purposely built these sets. I mean, I mean, I'm that's just one of a hundred reasons why I can't wait to see this film. But the cast looks fantastic. And I mean, you're right. Tarantino hasn't. In fact, dare I say his movies get better. As they go along, and in in most cases, I mean, I think the Hateful Eight is one of his masterpieces. So I'm I'm excited for this film. Yeah, it it looks terrific. The uh, we can't end up we can't end this discussion without talking about the fact that the Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker trailer debuted just a couple days ago. Uh, I've made no bones about the fact that I'm not a fan of the Last Jedi. I think as a a movie just on its uh, on its own, you know, it's technically well made, I suppose. Although I think the the it has an abundance of CGI effects when compared to the Force Awakens, which uh, yes, granted does have a lot of CGI, but I felt like there was way more tactile sets and production with the Force Awakens. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I'm really looking forward to this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's really this will be another day one. I'm gonna go to the theater. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm the same way. I like the Last Jedi more than you did. Um, I. I do recognize that it has some problems in it though, but I think like certain things that I liked about it, I liked so much that it outweighed the portions like with Finn and his subplot and uh, kind of like the casino city and things like that. Um, I didn't have a problem really with like the, what they did with Luke Skywalker or any of that stuff. So like I didn't have that component that a lot of fans did. Um, but episode nine, I mean, I am a huge J.J. Abrams fan. I loved what he did with The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens, it's not the best Star Wars movie, but if I'm picking out one to watch just the most because it's fun, I probably would put on The Force Awakens. Yeah. So having him come back is great. And I think Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac and John Boyega are so great in these roles just from the get-go that having more of that with them is just something I, I can't wait to see. So um, I, I I like it. It turns me – it's like a lot of people. It turns me into a little kid all over again. And it's nice when everything kind of seems you know, not that special anymore to have something – that still kind of gives you goosebumps and you're looking forward to. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I second everything you just said there, Adam, if people want to follow you on social media and, and uh, check out some of the work you do for F this movie, where can they find it? Uh, yeah. Um, I write uh, and do podcasts at F this That's F 
uh, the letter and then the words thismovie.net. Um, there's also a lot of other great writers and uh, podcasters on that site, so be sure to check out their work as well. And then I am on Twitter at Risky Adam. That's R-I-S-K-E Adam. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. Absolutely. And there'll be links to uh, everything Adam just said in this episode show notes. So Adam, I mean, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, uh, I know we're going to have you back for the 20th Century Movie Club very soon. And uh, I keep teasing the Dana After Dark Patreon exclusive episode, which I know that you are going to help me out with a little bit. And I'm looking forward to that. So thank you so much for being uh, being on the show and being and, you know, just being a great guest every time. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I forgot. Um, tying back to the beginning of the show when we were talking about Glass, I do have a theater story. Oh, please, please. Okay. So I saw Glass twice. And I the second time I saw it, I went to my neighborhood theater, which is a chain called CMX Cinemas. Have you ever heard of CMX Cinemas? I have not, no. Okay. So they're basically like the bizarro version of Epic Cinemas. <laughs> Um, you go in there and there's a bar and they do have sports on the TVs and everything like that. But other than that, like everything in the theater is basic AF. Like (laughs) there's no personality to it whatsoever, but it's kind of upscale. It's not like just plain walls. Like there's like weird art and things like that, but everything like you wouldn't know it's a movie theater unless the fact that there's actual theaters in there. There's no, um, lanyards of what's playing in the theaters it just says oh no you're walking into theater six enjoy yourself (laughs) um there's no there's no posters in fact there's posters outside but the posters that are out as of today are like the girl in the spider's web the grinch (laughs) instant family like they've never changed them like that's the weekend they gave up and (laughs) there's no one ever at this theater um I don't think it's ever had a sellout ever. And it's gone through like four or five different chains. Like people will go in there and it's a mom and pop and it fails. And then they get out Um, a company called Paragon goes in there and then they pan out and then they sell it to CMX. So now it's CMX right now. So you go in the theater, there's recliners, but they also have like those wooden desks that you would have in school. So like, it's not comfortable because like there's a wooden desk there for like your food, I guess. Um, so there's like cup holder and then like room for to put your popcorn and everything like that. And then the thing is the people there who work there, they are very conscious of customer service, but they're conscious of it in a way that makes you feel so awkward. So the time that I saw glass, it was snowing. It was like almost a blizzard. So I'm within walking distance of this place. So I was like, okay, I'll go. So just to kill time. So I went to like an 1130 in the morning show. I'm it's me and one other guy in the theater. I walk in the, before I get into the auditorium, I go to the concession stand and I ordered like a popcorn and a small, a small popcorn and a small drink. So then the guy goes, would you like a large? And I said, no, I'm, I'm fine with just the small one. And then he goes, I'm going to give you a large anyway, but it'll be our secret. And I'm like, I don't, (laughs) I'm like, I don't want a large and I don't want a secret. I'm like, just give me what I ordered. And then he's just like, no, 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 you come in here all the time. I see you're all the time. And I'm just like, I've been here like once in two years. (laughs) So he's like, don't worry about it. I got you. 
So then, so then I'm like, all right, fine. So I have this large soda and I don't want to drink more than like three sips of it. Cause I'm just like, I don't want to like indulge in his like little weird game that he's playing. So, so that happens. I go in the theater, I'm watching the movie about an hour in, I have to go to the bathroom. So I've seen the movie before. It's not a big deal. I can just get up and I'll go walk down the aisle and I'll go to the bathroom, which is by the front. So then I'm walking up the aisle and the manager stops me and he goes, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just got to go to the bathroom. And then he goes, oh, okay. He's like, how's the movie? I was meaning to ask you about it. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of watching it. So I want to just like go to the bathroom and then like I'll Uh, And then and then he's like, oh, can you like let me know how it is after it's over? And I'm like, really? And I kind of started laughing and he's just like, yeah. And I was like, all right, sure. Are you going to be out front or something? Or like, are you going to be by the door when it lets out? And he's like, I'll be there when it lets out. But if I'm not, just go around to my office and knock on the door. (laughs) I can't. So then when it ended, I just walked out. <laughs> and he, he was waiting for an hour and a half for you to show up. He's like, where's that one customer we had? <laughs> Did you feel awkward the next time you had to go back there? Like he was going to confront I haven't you. Gone back you haven't gone back. He's still waiting. He's got, yeah. he's, got a, he's, uh, got a, he's got a picture of you in the office. He's waiting for you to come back. There was one time I saw a movie there. This was a few years ago, but it was the same cashier. It was the same guy at the concession stand. Um, I went to see a movie. I didn't feel like watching it anymore. So I walked out and he, he like noticed that. And then like the time after I went there, he goes, why do you walk out of movies? What's that all about? (laughs) And I'm like, well, sometimes I don't like what I'm watching and I'm just want to go home. And then he's just like, oh, that's weird. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, it kind of is, but I don't really want you telling that to me in my to my face. <laughs> I get that way whenever I go to the grocery store and they and they comment <laughs> on what I buy. Oh, what's this? I'm like, just can you just scan it, please? Yeah. You know, um, you know it's like whenever I, I get the two tickets to go to the movie, and now it's just. In the old days, when I buy two tickets, it was all just paper tickets. So I just present them with one and I just have the second one in my pocket in case I needed it. But now I do everything on my phone. And listeners who don't know, I buy two tickets so nobody sits next to me. And, you know, every time I, every time they scan my phone, the lady's always just like, Oh, uh, well, this is two tickets. Where's the other person? And I'm like, it's just, it's just me. She goes, but there's two tickets. I know. She's like, huh. Now they, now they're used to it. Now they, they got used to it. But I remember the first few times they'd be like, well, they couldn't comprehend what I was doing. Yeah. So yeah, it's not, it's not obvious to them. It's so, not, I, I get so I have that. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just a magnet for like weird interactions like that. Like this isn't movie theater related, but like in my building, sometimes I'll like go out and get a pizza and I'll be like in my elevator. And then somebody's just like, Oh, that smells good. Can I have a piece? <laughs> and then like, I can't stand that. <laughs> so like there was one time as a joke and I was serious, but I said it kind of as a joke. I was just like, Hey, why don't you stop being involved in my dinner? (laughs) The guy looked at me like I killed someone. (laughs) All right. All right. Let me, uh, let me wrap this up. I can tell you a story off the air. I can't share on the story. I can't share it in the focus. All right. So Adam, man, thanks so much for joining me. Looking forward to having you back really soon. Yeah. Thanks Dana. All right. And my name is Dana Buckler and thank you so much for listening.